0: Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, and I am so excited about today's topic. We're talking about how to write better copy. And what we're going to dive into today, I believe, could transform, could impact the way you write email copy, the way you write your display ads and Facebook ads, the way you write your YouTube scripts. It applies to all of it, and I can't wait to dive in. Are you a DTC brand spending over six figures a month on paid media? If so, then listen up. My agency, OMG Commerce and I have worked with some of the top e-commerce brands over the years, including Boom, Native, Groove, Monin, Organifi, and dozens more. And every year we audit hundreds of Google, YouTube, and Amazon ad accounts. And we always find either significant opportunities for growth or wasted ad spend to cut or both. For example, are you missing YouTube ads? Whatever you're spending on top of funnel Facebook, you should be able to spend 30 to 50% of that or more on YouTube with similar returns. So if you're spending 300 to 400,000 a month on Facebook, you should be able to easily spend 100 to 150,000 or more on YouTube. Visit omgcommerce.com to request a free strategy session Or visit our resource page and get some of our free guides loaded with some of our best strategies for YouTube ads, Google Shopping, Amazon DSP, and more. Check it all out at omgcommerce.com. So my my guest today is the co-founder of 021.inc, and those are all numbers, 021.inc, Brandon Hamm. and, And Brandon is partners with James Van Elswick. And Nick Shackelford's two of my buddies and two people that I highly uh, respect in the industry. And so I got to hear Brandon speak. He and I were both speaking at at a recent Geek Out event in San Diego. And I took a ton of notes because everything Brandon was saying was like totally jiving with me. And it really resonates with my background in in direct response copy. And uh, so as soon as he was done talking, I was like, man, I got to get Brandon on the show. And so with
1: that quick intro, Brandon, welcome to the show. And how you doing, man? Great. Glad to catch back up, dude. It's been a bit, but yeah. great over yeah. here and excited to catch back up.
0: Absolutely. So not only is Brandon wicked smart when it comes to marketing and all things copy and direct response, he's got a killer beard. So if you're not watching this video, I mean, it is a legendary beard. How long, just, just for those that are interested, how long have you been growing that beard, Brandon?
1: Uh, since lockdown. It, I used to rock a stash. <laughs> So, okay. I didn't, I, I started with a beard. Then there was a wedding. So I had to like trim up and they wanted me to, like my family wanted me to wear a goatee. I look very aggressive with a shaved head and a goatee. So I <laughs> didn't feel good Not about that. everybody
0: can do the goatee. Some people look friendly. Most people just look angry.
1: Yeah. No, I, I couldn't rock that anymore. I was like, I look too angry. So yeah had to like change it up and I was like I'm not going back to like clean shaven so I rocked the stash for a long time and then lockdown it's like the stash can be friendly the stash can also
0: be creepy not everybody can do the stash either I look super weird and untrustworthy I think you could
1: pull off the stash it's a decent stash it's not as good as like uh, some of the other guys but it was decent but then I was like okay lockdown don't see anybody it's time to grow back and then sweet kind of
0: just kept it going We're looking at like two and a half years of growth, whatever. So that's awesome. All right, man. Uh, So give us your background really quickly because you've done some stuff for Agora. And of course, you've got amazing partners with James and Nick. But give us kind of the 90-second background that we're going to dive into your approach to writing effective copy.
1: Yep. So I am a media buyer by trade. Um, I still love media buying, geek out about it all the time. So actually, that was my job at Agora. I was a media buyer for one of the divisions. Um, and while there, I actually worked... And for those
0: that don't know, I think a lot of people listening do know. And a lot of people listening are like, whoa, you work for Agora. There are other people that are like, what's Agora? So give give the, the yeah, 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's impressive to me because I've been following Agora for years and years. Uh, but give, the, give us the lowdown.
1: Agora is a billion-dollar publishing company they publish financial newsletters health newsletters and everything they do is based on copy um, they spend a ton of money on traffic which is why I wanted to go there and like learn as much as I could um, which I did and then it's just very different than like e-commerce or whatever but the learnings are very applicable to very applicable. all businesses so yeah it's
0: it's a legendary space for direct response. Marketing and copy and long form copy. And you guys like my buddy Justin Brooke was there, and Perry Belcher's got some ties there. And I took a, a copywriting course that Michael Masterson put together. Anyway, it's just Agora is an impressive place for sure. So, okay, awesome. Uh, so continue so on that.
1: While there, got to work with a bunch of amazing people. One of the groups people I worked with was uh, James Van Elswick. So, while as a media buyer, I was like, who do I want to network with? So I picked out like the big media buying gurus on the networks, like Native. I really wanted to nail Native, so I hired you know James Van Elswick to run as an agency for us. Me and him hit it off. He made a ton of money with us. Me and him worked very well. Um, so when it came time that I was like, hey, I've done my learning, growing, I'm leaving Agora. Um, I hit him up, and he was like, hey. Well, why don't you come help build our copy team for the native side? Like you helped bridge that gap between Agora's copywriters and us as the media buyers. Why don't you do something similar and just like home grow some copywriters? So then I took over the copy side um, for James's native agency. Cause you write on native traffic, you have to write a lot of advertorials. It's very, you know, very cold traffic. So the copy needs to be great and you need to have a system for that. So we built that, and then over the last year, we were like, hey, what if we built a copy agency specifically focused on advertorials because that's what we really have an expertise in? And that's kind of where we've even systemized our process more, which we'll cover today, like our research and stuff. And yeah.
0: That's awesome. Love that background. And and what's so interesting about what we'll talk about today is most of the work, when it comes to writing copy, or a lot of the work, it comes in the research phase and comes in the prep stage, and so uh, that's mainly what we're going to break down here: is your approach to researching copy so that you can write amazing copy. And, and you're right, if you're running native ads or you're you're, you're creating advertorials, nothing is more copy intensive, and and you have to be. The margin of error is really slim there. You've got to be spot on. But these principles and these lessons can apply to e-comm and, and anywhere, really. So that's why I'm thrilled to dive in. Yeah. So sweet. So let, let's talk about this. So your approach is called uh, All You Need. Emphasis on A-L-L. It's an acronym. And so we're yes. going to dive into these. And, and uh, easy to remember, right? Love acronyms. We all love acronyms. And and, and so uh, we're going to dive in. So the, the first one is, is ask. And... One of the things you talked about, and my buddy Justin Brooke talks about this too. When when you're looking at, okay, what what's the angle we're gonna take here? So again, display ad, email copy, YouTube video, Facebook ad, whatever, are we gonna go pleasure? or are we going to go pain? So are we going to be encouraging someone to pursue pleasure, or are we going to be encouraging someone to avoid pain? Uh, You talked about it, like, are are we trying to get people to heaven or get them to avoid hell, right? That's kind of the the way to frame it. So talk about that a little bit, and how does that influence the, the ask part of your approach?
1: Yeah, so when we say ask, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get all the information out of the product owner, if you're an info-based business, the guru, what we're trying to do is extract and ask all these important questions to get the information out, um, specifically from the product side. So right now we're focused on the product. So what we do is like, we'll ask, you know, how does this keep customers? Um, you know, how does it get them towards their goal? How does it keep them from falling behind? So, you know, pleasure, pleasure versus pain. Um, because, It's better than just listing like, "Hey, what's great about your product?" Because usually, what you'll get is a list of benefits, which people then just slap on their product page. You know, which does not features, which yeah, which you know, little less useful. So. We what we do is we have a ton of different questions that we just run through with a product owner or with you know a guru and to just extract all this pleasure versus pain, um, basically how they would describe how they can get people towards pleasure or away from pain. That gives us like two little things. There's other questions. Um, so for example, we'll ask them about. First, we'll get all the beat benefits and features. We'll just go through a list. Like, okay, give us all of this. And like, we have a ton of questions that their sole goal is just get all of the information on one page. And after we've done this for like 30, 40 minutes with someone, you really start digging deep. And like you, to get something new, they really have to think. Um, And that's where a lot of our other questions come into it.
0: Yeah. I love it. So you, you gave an example which I loved. And, and uh, again, you know, I've got a marketing background. I've read a lot of the, the, the greats. Actually, I'm creating some TikTok videos now. So depending on when this, this episode comes out, uh, follow me on TikTok, at the Brett Curry. I'm just giving it a shot. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, talking about some of the marketing greats, like David Ogilvy and John Caples, and then who we're going to talk about right now, Claude Hopkins. Claude Hopkins wrote My Life in Advertising and Scientific Advertising, really old books and uh, Jay Abraham, who some of you will know and many of you won't, he said he he read uh, My Life in Advertising, scientific advertising, like a dozen times. And he said each time he read it, he felt like it made him a million bucks, right? This is like super, super p- powerful book. Um, it's old, but a lot of it still applies today. So tell the story about uh, Claude Hopkins and Schlitz beer because I think it underscores what can come out in this process?
1: Yeah, so Claude Hopkins was hired by Schlitz Beer to help them come up with a campaign to make more money. I think at the time, they were like 12th on the list out of the beers. They weren't very popular, to say the least. So in the process, he's asking all these questions, going through his research. And at one point, he's like, hey, can I walk through your manufacturing plant and see what's going on there? Um, so he goes through, he sees they filter, you know, their beer so many times. They steam the glasses or the bottles so many times. Like they, they have this whole huge complex purification and quality control process.
0: It's like a 5,000 foot artisan wells that are, that are
1: dug right to pull this water. Yeah. Out. Like it's, it's crazy stuff. insane. Like, and he's like, Hey, why don't you talk about this? And so context real quick at this time, all of the beer companies, like the thing people cared about, was the purity, the quality. So everyone was saying, "Hey, my beer is the purest. No, my beer is pure. My is better quality. Like that's what people cared about."
0: Yeah, yeah. So now it's like calories or just image, you know. So beer is sold differently today. Yeah. But then like purity and quality was a big deal because this was in the twenties, thirties. Yeah, like I want to
1: say around there. Yeah. We'll, we'll just we'll long call time it that ago. Close <laughs> enough. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone was saying, hey, it was just a mine's better, mine's bigger, mine's purer, whatever. That was the claims. And so when he went through this whole process, he's like, why aren't you talking about your process here? This is amazing. And they're like, because this is the same process every beer goes through. Everyone does this. And he's like, yes, but no one's talking about it. So after that trip, he wrote up a campaign for them, which skyrocketed them up. Um, I don't know if they're first, but they're in the top probably three, you know, like they were winning at that time because they talked about something which was common to every beer, but no one was talking about it. It wasn't common knowledge to the average person. So the average person was blown away.
0: Yeah, so they, so Claude Hopkins did two things. One, he understood what people wanted and he keyed in on that. So that's that's the first thing. Two, he understood There's a story here, and you're missing it, beer, because you're too in this, right? You're too close to the product to see it from an outside perspective. And here's what I believe about products. I believe most products are not crazy unique right there there are a few take a purple mattress as an example where maybe they're the only mattress that passes the raw egg taste maybe they're not but that's where you know in in the ads they drop the big sheet of glass onto the raw eggs that are on top of the mattress and the mattress cradles it like that's a unique thing nobody else maybe can say that and certainly no one else is saying that Uh, but there's a lot more products where okay a lot of the processes are the same then you just have to say it better. And if you're the first one to bring something to light and make it clear and compelling, then it's pretty hard for your competitors to come back and say, oh, we do that, we do that too, right? And then it loses its power. And so, yeah, digging into the product, asking questions, understanding what's important to the customer, how do we bring that to life, and also that, that pain versus pleasure is really important. Anything else you would, you would dive into on the, on the ask portion of your, your all process.
1: I would say just go as deep as you can, like in, especially if you own a brand, like agencies can only go so deep because they have to do this for everybody. As a brand owner, you should have a folder that's just chocked full of everything about your product. just a list of its features, its benefits, it's, you know, how it's manufactured, quality control. Cause once you have all this information as well as the stuff we will cover you can basically pass it to your internal people when it t- comes time to write or create new assets. Or if you work with an agency, you can give this to an agency or a creative agency. And with the amount of information, you can blow your competition out of the water. Because normally, what happens is we all like, like you're saying, there's so many products that are unique. Like, you know, what's the difference between one, you know, pen and another pen? Well, you know, now if all of a sudden you talk about, hey, in the manufacturing process, we pressurize the ink cartridge so it results in a constant steady flow of, you know, whatever. Like, you normally, think about when you normally work with an agency and they're like, hey, send us over everything you can. Are you going to send them, oh yeah, our cartridges are pressure controlled, whatever, if it's obviously not something already on your webpage. You might not have picked up like, hey, this is big. We can use this. But if you just just everything compiled on a like a folder paper and that way you can pass to people like it's huge.
0: Yeah, and and so, you know, what we're trying to find here is stuff that you as a brand owner may think is boring or or may think is just obvious or or old hat, but it's going to be new and exciting to customers. What are some of the specific questions you ask because I know one that I took a note on was, you know, what's something about your product that would surprise me? And, and that um, may take a little digging and thinking, um, again, because most brand owners are too close to their product. But I love that question. What's something about your product that would surprise me? What other questions are you asking?
1: Yeah, so some of the other questions, like a quick note on that one, that one we usually ask at the end, just because at the end they've been so primed. They've literally told us everything they can yeah. think of. And then it's like, okay, you've told me who knows how much for the last hour. What's something that's going to surprise me? What's something you haven't told me? It really makes them dig deep or like refine Mm. what they've previously said. Yeah. Um, But some other questions like other things we try to collect is like um, basically any rewards, information about the product owner. So is there a backstory to the company? People bond with like founder stories. Yeah. so you know is there anything about your company is an all-woman company is all you know like did it start from a garage you know like just little things like that other things is like proof points so do you have any video proof of? so let's say it's a teeth whitening do you have a time lapse of the teeth getting whiter did you have a study done at you know there's all these different proof points that we just try to collect um have you been featured in anything? Like, even if this is something I thought about the other day, we don't ask this. But the best proof is, for example, like think of a product. Uh, let's say you have a, let's just say a book or whatever. That's not the ideal one, but you have a book, and all of a sudden you see a celebrity um, doing like a podcast or they're streaming something, and in the background you see your book on their shelf like the book you wrote like that could be huge proof that like if you don't keep that record it and like put in something then it won't it won't ever pop up later so like just having a process for any proof point that your team you comes across of even if like you didn't originate like hey look this celebrity's wearing our shirt Mm -hmm. you just need to put it in a folder for later because one day someone will find an amazing way to use it
0: I love that. I love that. Anything, and and really, as you kind of train yourself as you go through this process, start looking for stuff. Anything that you think you may be able to possibly use one day, save it, put it in a folder and drive or whatever and keep that. So awesome. Okay. So that's that's the A part of the all process. So the next is look. So uh, this mainly keys in on spying on competitors, which I'm a big fan of. I think there's a lot of misconceptions here too and a lot of mistakes that could be made as you're spying on competitors. We'll talk about that in a minute. But but what is your advice? How do we spy on competitors and what do you recommend? We'll dig into some tools in a minute too.
1: Yeah, so spying should be a standard practice of your team. Um, Generally, it should be... A, d- at least do it monthly. Monthly, go into the Spy Tools, download everything that's applicable a to your brand, but also cross niche. Like some of the biggest takeaways can be taken from, like you may see a financial offer, and it may have like, hey, here's, it may have one section which all of a sudden you can take over to your physical product, and it can make a huge difference. So, for example, um, on a Financial advertorial I was reading, it talked about, hey, here's proof that everything we're saying is true. Here's the guy's uh, tax return. Here's his tax return that shows he actually made this much money. You're like, wow, you know, this is amazing. Well, how can you do that for e-commerce? You know, how can you bring that level of proof? And when you see this in other niches, all of a sudden you can be like, okay, how can I do this for e-commerce? So it's like if it's a review story, maybe you put a picture in of the receipt. Or, you know, if it's, you know, like it's a study, all of a sudden you bring a journal, you know, it's been featured in, it's one thing to say it's been featured in Times Magazine. It's another thing to actually take a picture of it on your phone and include that on the page. Like, how can you prove what you're saying? And so just looking in your niche for like trends and what the market is currently seeing, but across everything, if if a direct response, e-commerce, like any offer is spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, millions of dollars a month. If it's one of the top offers, I don't care what niche it is. I want to see it because there's Absolutely. something I can learn from it.
0: Yep. If someone is spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on it, you know it's creating a return. And so if it's creating a return, you want to know why. And you want to, you want to be able to break that down and really look at it. So let's talk about what, what are some of the ad, the ad spying tools that you like and that your team uses regularly? Yeah,
1: so my favorite personally is AdBeat. Um, so, Adby, it's mostly like it's best used for spying on like GDN traffic, so Google Display Network and like high tier native, so like Outbrain and Taboola. Um, it does feature smaller native networks. But that's not normally how I use it. Um, I love that tool, just the way it works. Um, you can clearly see how well things are performing. When I get, I always do the mid tier or higher. I've had different tiers of it, but the mid tier gives you 90 days history, I think, or more. Um, you at least want that much amount of history so you can see how long something's ran.
0: Yeah. So now, something is What's kind of your cutoff? Are you looking for something that's run for at least 60 days, 90 days? What What, what are you typically looking at?
1: 60 to days. 90 is like a good. Like most people aren't going to lose for super over 90 is the ideal just because you look at what agencies pitch and agencies when they come to you they're like hey we're going to do a three-month contract we're going to work together for three months month one we're going to test a lot of stuff month two you know we're going to break even profit month three scale whatever that's like the normal pitch so it's like during that three months technically an ad that still could be losing could be like inching its way along. Now, if it's spent a ton of money, that's the other metric. If it has a ton of views, if it's a YouTube ad, if it has a ton of money spent behind it according to the spy tools, you can get away with it being live less, you know, less time. But if you're not sure on the actual performance of the ad, the longer is the better because no one's gonna leave an ad longer than three months, even two months is like eh, that's like losing. It just doesn't happen. Right. Right. So Makes
0: sense. Yeah. Yeah. Adbeat. What? What else are you
1: looking at? Adbeat for Facebook specific. Adspy. Um, Adspy is good. Then you can get actually. Are, are
0: you using kind of a combo of Adspy plus the Facebook Ad Library? Um, can I, can I use so, a, can you? I, Facebook Ad Library. That's a tool that a lot of people don't know about. You have to look at a specific specific advertiser, but it's free. And it's Facebook-hosted, so you can dig in and see anyone's ads. Yeah, um, you have to use those two together.
1: I use them slightly differently. I used to not need AdSpy or a spy tool because the Facebook Ads Library, if you right-clicked a video, you could get a video URL and you could actually get the exact post ID. So then you could go read mm-hmm. all the comments on it. That doesn't work anymore. So the downside of ads library is you cannot see the comments. You can't see the interaction, the likes, right. the proof, how many video views. Like you don't see that anymore. So you're still guessing unless you're looking at time. And then yeah. is it retargeting ad? It could just be like right. inching or right. wrong. Where AdSpy it will link you to the actual post IDs. So you can see the comments. You can see how many millions of views are on it. You can, you know. So that's the one benefit over Ads library can be good just to a quick refresh and a quick look because spy tools can be a little more complicated, takes a little more time. Or, you know, if you're not in the spot where you can spend money, I always think spending money on spy tools is worth it, always. But if you can't justify it right now, ads library will get you, you know, 80% of the way. Yeah. Yeah. So. Those are the main two. There's obviously like VidTow for YouTube. If you're doing yep, YouTube, we, we use
0: VidTow for YouTube. It's great. So, again, it's going to show free. you kind of top spenders on, on YouTube.
1: Yeah. Yeah. VidTow is free. So, it's a great tool if you're not already using it. Um, Anstracts, that's more of a lower tier native. So, this is really relevant for like affiliates, you know, dropshippers. Like, it's a lot more aggressive stuff. Um, yep. not always the best learnings. I, Prefer Adbeat, um, but Anstrax does show stuff. You can get Anstrax for push notifications if you're doing push traffic stuff like that.
0: Cool, cool. We love SEM Rush if you, if you want to look at at search ad copy yeah. and even display and things like that or, or or Google Shopping. Some spy and intelligence tools there, so SEM Rush is great for that.
1: SEM Rush also gives you some display ads. I haven't used it in the past three years, but it used to be my go-to. Because I needed the keyword research as well as yeah. some display, and it does have some display. So if you already have SEM Rush, you can probably not need AdBeat for a while. You'll be close yeah. enough.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. So uh, I love the idea, you know, and, and I heard about the the swipe file idea from from way back in the the days when I took my first copywriting courses and stuff like that. Um, so spying and seeing what competitors are doing and seeing what unrelated com- uh, companies are doing and learning from that super valuable, but. There's some temptations here. There's some mistakes that could be made as you're spying on competitors. So what are the mistakes to avoid in this process?
1: The big mistakes are people copy or rip. Like again, we're not we're not looking to copy or rip people off. Like we're not trying to recreate their ads. What we're looking for is trends and learnings, which is why looking across niches can be super helpful. It gets rid of that temptation. Um but inner inner niche like let's say if you sell a say you sell baby blankets or whatever let's say you spy on all your competitors and you look in like what you can do is look for trends so trends in images so maybe there's pictures of a baby holding a blanket and so you collect all those images and that's like image type one that's a trend then you see, oh, hey, there's product only, but it's all nice and folded next to like a pacifier or baby bottle or whatever. So that's like a type two image. Then there's type three where it's like, oh, hey, the mom's out and about, you know, or maybe there's a crying baby. Maybe that's a type, type four. What you can do is look for trends and then recreate those. Because after having so many different types and organizing the visually like visual aspects, you can then tell your team to be like, okay, There's a ton of people with working ads that show this type of image. Now let's go recreate that type of image ourselves. You know, so like that is the easiest example. Like with copy, people get tempted to like, oh, let me take this part or whatever. But with images, obviously you can't advertise someone's product. So like that's the best example. Like you're looking for trends, which then you can recreate and apply to your business.
0: So love that we're looking for inspiration, we're looking for ideas, we're looking for trends, we're not looking to plagiarize, right? That, that, that's not a way to, to find success.
1: Yes. So that's mistake one. Mistake two, we kind of touched on earlier, is like studying ads that don't work. So you need to look for ads that have been around a long time or you have proof that they're working. Um, if you ever hear from like friends or you talk to people and they're like, oh yeah, we're spending this much money and they're like, they're a believable friend or you see in their ad account, add it to your swipe file. You know how, much, how well they're doing Why not study it? They're a different niche. It doesn't matter. You can learn something to benefit your business, to benefit your market.
0: Yeah, Um, Yeah, you could look at a spy tool and be like, oh, look at that ad. I like that ad. Let's copy that. But you don't know, or let's be inspired by that. You don't know if it's a winning ad or not, if you don't dig a little deeper and see how it's been running and and how many views it has, how many comments it has, things like that.
1: And that's a big mistake with people that just screenshot their Facebook ad, like going down their feed or the ad library even occasionally, is they all of a sudden are looking for inspirational ads that don't work where if you dig deep on the spy tools you can get certain that ads work or if your friend tells you hey we're crushing on this whatever um the other mistake is not doing cross channel spying like if you only run youtube like youtube ads are displayed in a certain way like that's just youtube ads generally appear differently than facebook ads but you can take learnings cross channel but they will not be exact so it's kind of a toss up on some things work very well on one channel. They don't work well on another channel. So it's not always a guarantee, but it's still important to see because like, people interact in different ways and the core message or core angle still could be passed over to a different channel in a different way. So spy cross-channel, um, just because you only run Facebook ads or YouTube ads, don't think that's the only way to do it. Um, there are other places to look, but that does not mean it will work when you take it from a different channel.
0: Exactly, but I but I still love the, the learning process there. So as an agency, we run YouTube and Google traffic. We don't run Facebook traffic. But I love looking at Facebook ads because what we found, and, and when you really get to know your channel, you know what elements of other channels translate and what elements don't. Right. So as an example, if we find an ad that's really crushing on Facebook, a video ad, Often, we we can uncover some elements of, hey, that probably makes for a good hook, right? That, that opening of that Facebook video could be a good hook on YouTube. it couldn't It's not going to be likely all we can see on YouTube, but it might be a great hook. Or another example is, you know, you see something in, in Instagram that's very product demo heavy, or we see this sometimes on sponsor brand video on Amazon, although most of those are bad, honestly. But um, we see like a, a really great product demo video, and we think, okay, that could be used in a a YouTube ad for the product demo portion, which is not usually at the very beginning of an ad.
1: So real quick, I didn't even mention this when I originally talked about it, but something I've been thinking about more recently too is just looking, yes, looking at like your competitors, ads, whatever, but also looking at what the market looks at. So again, like you brought up, like Amazon, whatever, but there are things like documentaries. There's like, what do people just consume in that market that's relevant to your yeah. niche. So like if you have if you sell vegan protein, go watch those vegan documentaries that went viral on uh right. Netflix. Like there is something you can learn because there's after there those clues
0: there and what that market is interested in.
1: After those went viral, like everybody was like, hey, maybe I want to be vegan now or this or that. And that documentaries are a great source, viral blog posts. Like there's always something that like or even just like organic Facebook videos. I use that a lot of times for image inspiration um, where it's like why or even YouTube ads, not YouTube ads, YouTube videos, just straight YouTube yes. videos, the thumbnails, the intros, the hooks, like studying just organic stuff. Like spying is easy because you can see the spy tools. There's other stuff for organic, you know, like uh, is it Buzz Sumo? There's other ones that like rank blog posts, rank whatever, but also if you know, hey, this is a top documentary in my niche. This is this, you can learn something from it. Yeah. Which then you can translate to your ads as well.
0: Yeah, what what what's the language that they're using? What are the what are the specific words they're using? What are what are the things they're really keying in on? Yeah, really great points. So much to learn from documentaries and blog posts and, and other things rather than just spy tools. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So we got we got ask, we got look, last L is listen. And I, I love that you said this This you believe is the most important, if I wrote that note down right anyway. And um, you also said, and I love this, you sell more with your ears than you do with your mouth. And I know we're talking about digital marketing and stuff. But but anyway, I, I love that quote, though. Uh, so, so explain the listening portion of your
1: process. Yeah, so... On Ask, we looked at our product and our product owner. On Listen, we're looking at the market, what our competitors are doing, like in a broad sense. The Listen, we actually look for feedback from the market itself. So we're looking for what are customers' objections? What are their feedbacks about us and our competitors? um, What are their personal experiences in the market and industry in general? So basically we kind of divide it out into a couple main channels. Like there's a lot of different ones you can look at. But for example, with Facebook, we'll look at Facebook comments to kind of see people's questions, concerns, their objections. Like what are Facebook comments that are useful? Like looking at them, it's a complaint about, Hey, you know, this didn't work for me or whatever, which if you can find those on your competitor's ads or your own, you can improve. But also it's questions like, does this work for this? Does this work for this? And all of a sudden you are hearing from your market on what you can do to improve. And nobody look okay very few people look at Facebook comments because media buyers, they have enough on their plate that they're not going to look at Facebook comments. They don't manage it. Normally what happens is you have a uh, what are those oh, I'm drawing a huge blank. Customer, customer service team. You have a customer service team or a social person manage it. That information almost never makes it back to copywriters or media buyers, or they blow it off and like, hey, people don't like this ad. And you're like, well, yeah, but it's working, so we're going to keep doing it. That's the normal response. So if you dig into comments and look for trends again, where it's like how many people are complaining about this issue? How many questions are popping up about this? and you just manually pull, you know, have someone go through and just pull comments from your ads, as well as your competitors, you can see like, hey, in this market, let's say you're doing a uh, a polish for a car. All of a sudden, you see people asking like, hey, um, how long does the polish last? You know, or the like, or, you know, All of a sudden, all these different examples. Can I use it
0: on multiple multiple services? Can I use it on glass and on the paint? Can I use it on the glass? Things things like that. Yes, you're understanding what are the questions, what are the hurdles, what are the objections. We're uncovering these because because customers are telling you. So you're uncovering those and then you're able to address those in your
1: ads. Yeah, then you can address those in your ad, your pages, whatever. So that is one. Another source we look at is Amazon. So the product reviews of our products, our competitors' products, so you can go in and you kind of see the feedback and stories of success or kind of how it failed. So you yeah. like I personally don't like one star reviews. They're usually garbage. Um, but two star reviews. That's right. Usually those are just people that are angry with me. Yeah, stuff. exactly. There's not much information, but two star reviews, you usually get like an actual thing like someone says, "Hey, uh, uh, this pain cream it, it burnt me." You know, it scarred me. All of a sudden, you start seeing trends like that. Or it made my skin more sensitive. You can bring that up. Like, hey, our cream doesn't make your skin sensitive like other brands or this. Or we know your pain. Like, that as well as the success stories. So looking at, you know, five and four stars, um, you get an eye of what's, like, real. But you can start seeing trends. And you can run these through, like, a word cloud. But um, run them through. And, like, what are people saying? How are they describing their success?
0: So... Mm -hmm. I love it, and, and you talked about looking. You gave one example about uh, snow teeth whitening on Facebook, and one recurring comment was, "Can I drink wine? Can I drink coffee when I'm going through this yeah. process?" Maybe you're like, "Oh, well, like, of course." I, I wouldn't even thought that that you know we did a, need to address that, but that's what everybody's wondering, so you need to address that.
1: Yeah, and they did, and it took off. Like, uh, I saw those ads everywhere. You know, people were asking for a long time in the comments, and then when they addressed that, it. It went
0: crazy, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting that, that sometimes, you know, being being creative really just means spotting things, not creating things from scratch, but spotting things, spotting that, oh, this is what they want, and this is the thing keeping them from buying. Now that I see that, okay, now that I'm, I'm going to bring that to the forefront and address it in ads and things like that. Yeah, So. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. You also talk about, um, you know, the language that people use, because that's important. You don't want to use the, you know, totally, you don't want to use, you know, graduate level language when people are using slang that are, that are your customers. Like you want to speak their language. And in any examples there? And I think you also, there was one like a uh, women's product. Yeah, so...
1: Which- yeah. So while we do the spine, while we talk to like look for feedback from customers, what we're doing is we're pulling out their language. So like how do they describe their problem? How do they describe their desired result? You know? Um, what do they describe as their desired action? So for example, um in ads for a anti-wrinkle product, it was using like words saggy jaws, turkey neck, stuff like that the desired action was to like eliminate or erase or tighten snap back. All of a sudden you can get all these different ways to describe it. And then like the desired result, like if you look through Reddit, there's a lot of forms on how these women want dewy skin, you know? So it's like bright plump. I I haven't looked at that in a while. So I got, but dewy, that is a key word for them.
0: Mm, Super interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden you can use that in ads. You you're speaking their language, you're getting unique words that they resonate with that then you can implement in your marketing. So all of a sudden, let's say you have a winning headline and it's like, hey, erase, you know, your uh, crow's feet or whatever. You can change erase to what if it's tighten, disappear, lift. You can change crow's feet. You know, maybe there's other things. And all of a sudden you can play with the different language. Same thing for e-com, physical products. There's ways they describe, you know, um, the joy they felt, how it fixed the problem. There's no more like whatever, you know, my kid doesn't cry all night. You know, they might describe it some way else that you can then implement.
0: Yeah. Love that. Love that. And and uh, I think there's also some, some tips you gave or some suggestions where uh, you know, sometimes and like like we were at, at Geek Out, dominated by dudes, right? I don't know why, but it's like like dudes that are media buyers and stuff like that. And sometimes there's a lot of dude copywriters. But we're selling a product to women, like we need their input and what are the actual words they're using. And so so you wanna bring in some diversity as you're doing your research and, and want to make sure you're getting feedback from the right people. And, and anything to, to speak to there? Yeah,
1: and that actually plays into like the final step of this research is like when we use our research. When we write, we like to have three copywriters uh, at least, you know, three to four, maybe five in a room, all with different backgrounds, all with, you know, different experience levels. Because they all, when they brainstorm together, it's a different dynamic. They have like a hive mind where they're able to comb through everything, bounce ideas off each other and come to new conclusions, which results in better promos. So like for us, that was... The core like reason we want to build bigger copy teams is we noticed the more copywriters we have on a project, the better it works. And that's where like, okay, as a brand owner, it may not make sense to have three copywriters all specialized in this one field. But let's say you have an email copywriter as well as a you know ad and product page copywriter, they can interact. You throw in a third person, you know, maybe you, the media buyer, the product owner, whatever. At least, at a minimum, having three people within the company could even be customer service or something. But like three people discussing all of the research, going through it, and bouncing new ideas off each other is where you'll come up with uh, new breakthroughs.
0: Yeah, I love it. And and really, you know, if we look at what what is what is what drives success on ad platforms, whether it's Facebook or native or or, or GDN or, or YouTube or TikTok. It really comes down to the copy and the script first, right? Obviously, then how how those things are executed, if it's video, who your spokesperson is, you know, who's actually delivering it if it's video or, or an image, that's important, but it all starts with a script, right? Just like your favorite movies, you know, the best movies have great scripts, the best shows have great scripts. And so you, you gotta have good copy. And really it all begins here. And and this process is less about being creative and more about. Asking, looking, and listening, and then delivering exactly what your customers want in a fresh way uh, based on trends. And so I I love this process, man. It's super awesome. Uh, This has been very, very valuable. I could keep talking about this stuff because I geek out about it. But uh, as people are listening and they think, all right, I got to dig in, I got to dig in more. I either got to learn more from Brandon or I got to connect with, with Brandon and, 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 James and Nick's company, um, how can they learn more from you? Do you have any, any resources, any guides, anything like that?
1: Um, they- right at the moment, no, but I'm always willing to chat. Um, and if they just want to hit me up on Twitter, um, just search. I am Brandon ham on Twitter. That's my, uh, whatever we call it. Um, uh, handle, Twitter Twitter handle. Handle. yeah. Exactly. yeah. Yep. So hit me there. You can DM me. I don't really care. Always down to chat. Um, you can check out our website, zero to one dot Inc. Um, but it won't, I don't think you'll get as much value. Add me on Twitter and you can hit me up whenever.
0: Awesome. Love that. And that's zero to one all numeric dot Inc. Brandon Ham, ladies and gentlemen, Brandon, this was awesome, man. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks Brett. All right. Awesome. Thanks again. Uh, We really appreciate you. And hey, as a listener, we want to hear from you. What would you like to hear more of on this show? Uh, Also, we got a new podcast, Spicy Curry. Check that out as well. We'd love your feedback. We'd love that review on iTunes. Uh, And until next time, thank you for listening.